Are you looking to become more resilient? At ALH Coaching, we believe that everyone deserves the chance to grow and thrive. That's why we offer free or reduced cost life coaching to help people overcome challenges and reach their full potential, as well as asynchronous courses available for a nominal donation. We are here to help you develop the skills and mindset you need to succeed. Our coaching can help you build resilience and achieve your goals, whether you're facing personal or professional challenges. So why wait? Visit alhcoaching.org today and start your journey towards a more resilient future. This podcast episode mentions panic attacks, anxiety, high-functioning anxiety, self-doubt, sexual assault, trauma, and burnout. These are our personal stories, and we are not mental health professionals. This is not a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be relied on as health or personal advice. Hello, and thank you for joining us on this episode of And Life Happened. I'm your co-host, Samantha. And I'm your co-host, Jessica. On this episode, we will be talking with Allison. Welcome, Allison. Welcome. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Allison, tell us your story. Oh, my story. Where, where does one begin? <laughs> um, so I am a licensed therapist and a mindset coach and an international speaker. And that's currently what I do. Um, I specialize in anxiety, trauma, and sex and intimacy. But the reason that I got to where I am today um, has really been birthed out of my own struggles with anxiety, my own struggles with, um, you know, imposter syndrome and poor self-talk and crummy self-esteem. So, you know, when I was in high school, um, I grew up, I'm, I'm born in 81. So I'm like an 80s, 90s gal. Mm-hmm. So really, we didn't talk much about mental health. Um, and I remember a very marked day in my high school. I had just gotten into a big fight with my then boyfriend and I started to hyperventilate and you know really couldn't breathe so badly that my mom actually called 911 she wasn't sure what was happening and I got rushed off to you know the hospital and there they deemed that I had had a really bad panic attack mm-hmm. and when I think back to this story the thing that sticks out for me is that in the aftermath of that, first of all, I was very shameful, right? Like I felt really, really embarrassed. I didn't want anybody to know. I didn't want to tell my friends. I swore yeah. my secrecy. Um, nothing happened, right? Like nobody <laughs> gave me medication. Nobody hooked me up with a therapist. It was just like, woo, this epic event happened in my life that was really shaky, scared the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. And then I carried about my life. And um that luckily was one of the only few times that I had a full-blown panic attack. But as I sort of moved through life um, up till present day, I really was still quite an anxious person. It just started to manifest really differently. Mm-hmm. So um, in college, I would consider myself an overachiever. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to NYU and I put myself through it. But then at I had two jobs at any given point and multiple internships. And I was really proud of myself in those moments, right? Like I'd look at my life, I'd look at what I was accomplishing and I would get a lot of reward for it, right? Mm -hmm. 
I'm, I'm nailing the college life. And that's what people saw on the outside. But what they didn't see on the inside was that it was really being powered by not feeling like I was enough, mm -hmm. uh, you know, pressure to be the first in my family that went to college, mm -hmm. uh, pressure to figure out what the hell I wanted to do. I was 18. Like who knows what they want to do when they're 18? Nobody. Right. Uh, and, and so a lot of where I am today really stemmed from like who I was then. Um, and I've learned a lot more. So my career has taken an interesting course. I started, I went to NYU for psychology and um, what we know as it was called women's studies at the time. Now it's <laughs> appropriately called gender and sexuality studies. Um, and I had wanted for my whole life to, I, and I'm not even really sure why, because luckily I have not experienced any kind of sexual trauma. Um, but I wanted to work with survivors of sexual assault. And so I went for my master's degree and I got a job working at a hospital and I was sort of the first line of defense in the emergency room when someone would come in mm. uh, as a, you know, who had just survived um, a sexual assault incident. And I did that for a long time. And I, I learned um, a lot about trauma, a lot about empowerment, a lot about <laughs> the justice system. Mm. Yeah my career took a very strange turn. I had gone to John Jay for my master's degree, which um, teaches you about forensic psychology. So there was a lot of applications for that type of degree. And I actually became a private investigator, like accident. Oh, uh, yeah. And That's exciting. <laughs> and I did like the corporate investigations. I know a lot of people think like you're in a trench coat, like following cheating husbands. I don't get that. <laughs> And that career really took off for me. And, um, you know, I worked really hard. I moved up the corporate ladder. I became a major executive of my firm. And I had this ginormous aha moment in about my early 30s that, you know, once again, back to that anxiety, I had been working so hard for so long, doing so many things. And I was not happy. I wasn't miserable, right? I like had friends, I had a partner. I was living a life in New York City, but I wasn't authentically happy. And I was really attributing to my burnout. And one day I just had that like cliche where you just snap. And I just knew that I couldn't live my life like that any longer. Mm -hmm. I quit my job without any sort of a plan, terrified. Um, and I decided to go back to school. I really loved working in the hospital. And I just knew that that was more my passion and I had been volunteering at a lot of different mental health agencies, but I hadn't, you know, I wasn't making a career out of it. I was doing something else. So I went back the whole way to the drawing board, which is a terrifying feat when you have a New York City rent in your 30s. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I went back for a second master's degree. And at that point, I decided that I had already understood life and mental health and the aftermath of trauma from the survivor's point of view, but I didn't understand it from the offender side. Um, and so I actually got a job working at Rikers Island in New York City. Wow. It was a therapist in solitary confinement. Wow. Which, you know, definitely, definitely gave me a lot of world experience with trauma, you know, again, more about the justice system. Um, and after I left that, um, which, you know, I, I had an internship, actually, I was working there for free as part of my, my master's degree. Again, not an easy thing to do in your thirties when you're working for free. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
But then I actually moved to Sri Lanka for a month and I did some mental health work there. And um, they had come on the aftermath of a tsunami and a civil war. So I was helping the National Institute of Mental Health up in Sri Lanka mm. uh, kind of reestablish some systems to help people get some access to mental health. And when I came back stateside, I worked a little bit for a hot minute in um, an agency that helps people who have been convicted of nonviolent felonies get access to resources. And the idea was that if we connect people with their resources, that, um, you know, maybe they wouldn't commit more crimes. And turns mm -hmm. out that. And then most recently, I left all agency work and I started in private practice, which is where I am today. So today, all of these life events from my own personal relationship to anxiety, high functioning anxiety, um, you know, all of the work that I've done with trauma, shame, guilt. Um, currently where I stand today is I help primarily women. I do see men, but I see mostly women. And I really just try to help them evaluate their lives and really build a life. You know, I joke, like build a life out of passion, not out of pressure. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where I am today. And in all of these life experiences that have sort of accumulated to this moment, which is just, I'm trying to help ladies be back, come, you know, badass bitches, <laughs> like take love over it. the world. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, in your story, you know, I'm identifying with you because of when the time period you grew up and like talking about, we didn't talk about mental health and it was like, oh, great, move on. Um, and if you went and sought help, well, no, that was shamed too, you know? So like thinking about that and, and then where you are now, did you end up at some point finding um, a community or somebody who helped to kind of change and shape your view. Um, because I would say it's a complete different, you know, like where you are now versus where you started. Like, did you have like some shaping that happened because of a community you created? Yeah, I think so. So, you know, I was lucky enough that when I went to college, I did have access to a therapist. Part of my program almost required you to go see someone, um, which, you know, I am a therapist. I believe therapists should be in therapy themselves. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like, mm -hmm. to buy the product we're selling. Um, and so I got, you know, that was my first access point to just even understanding the framework for all of this. Um, and I'm embarrassed to admit, if I'm telling you the real story, the <laughs> main, main moments I had, like, this profound aha was actually a social media post that I saw about 10 years ago, like back when I might have even been, I don't even know if we had posts back then, but it was some messaging that I saw that had said, you know, this is what high functioning anxiety looks like. It's people, mm -hmm. it's shit boundaries. It's, you know, saying yes to things when your calendar is already full. It's coming in late. It's staying or coming in early. It's answering emails on your day off. And I was like, well, that is me. I check every single box. And I really started to get more involved with, you know, people that were inspirational. And a lot of that I have, you know, I, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. I think probably many of us do. I think there can be some really like hard negatives to it. But where I did find inspiration and motivation is really a lot of, you know, online communities and, you know, and books and things like that. And present day, I am all over the place with like my communities that inspire me. 
So, um, you know, it's been just such a fundamental part of who I am is finding other people like me who are a little bit farther ahead of me. Right. Yeah. And I love that. <laughs> follow their lead. And so I do that in my business for sure. Like I find the people ahead of me and, and follow suit. But I also do that with like mindset work, right? People who I love, like Eckhart Tolle. Um, you know, I, I'm a nerd for Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure. Messages. So, you know, community, not necessarily in the sense of like my friends have always been on the same mm -hmm. flock that I have, but like I have found tons of resources and access points into just the messaging to kind of change my own brain. You know, I mean, there's yeah. so much messaging. Don't brag. I tell, I'm going to back up. I tell this story where I, I was doing therapy in person before COVID and every woman who walked through the door, I said a compliment to, and without fail, 100% of the women that I complimented all negated the, com you know, the compliment. Mm -hmm. something like this, Jennifer, your hair looks great. My hair, I didn't wash it today. Mm -hmm. You know, Sally, I love your bag. This thing, I got it at Target. Mm -hmm. And it really reminded me that like our messaging is to make ourselves smaller, mm -hmm. right? Not to show up. Don't mm -hmm. be cocky. You know, if you're assertive, you're bitchy. If mm -hmm. you have a strong opinion, you're too much. If you are confident, you're braggy. And so a lot of the community that I have found is <laughs> communities that throw that out the window, you mm -hmm. know? Um, I'm going to mention something that Samantha and I noticed, and I don't know, Samantha, if you were going to say this too, but Samantha and I used to um, work at the same company um, before starting our own company, but um, we interviewed people and 100% of the females, we went, when we would ask them to tell them a little, tell us a little bit about themselves, they would talk about their children mm -hmm. and their spouses and tell us nothing or almost nothing about their actual um, career and degrees and, you know, all of the things. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's such an important point. Um, I always think, you know, the way that we describe ourselves again, particularly women is that right. It's like the things that orbit outside of us. I'm going to say, mm -hmm. Hey, tell me about yourself. Oh, I'm mm -hmm. 42. I'm married. I have two children. Yeah. I own a business, but those aren't things that really define who we are. Right. Because yeah. you're you know, married until you're not, right? Right, right. You know, it's better and I think more helpful and really more unique to say something like, I'm a creative, right? I'm really empathetic. I love crocheting, right? I'm super mm -hmm. interested in It's like, those are really the things that make us us, right? Like that's who I am. Yes. It's not really the fact that I'm married, right? Like that's just a circumstance. It's not, of course my husband's important to me, but he, he doesn't define who I am, right? The yeah. fact that of animals. I'm a huge animal level. I'm a world traveler. Like those are the things that actually define who I am. I love that. I I love that you're getting the message out there to women um, and, and men too, because, and Samantha can attest to this too. We, we did have a, a man that was in our coaching that also answered that way. And mm -hmm. we were both shocked because he was the first male we had that answered that way, <laughs> but um, that you're getting that out there not to make themselves smaller because that was what we saw with 100% of the women that we were coaching at work. So, and, and we were coaching people to interview for leadership roles and we were seeing that the women, I mean, how can you compete if you go into an interview and you're up against four men and it's 
you know, one woman and not in our field because we were in education. So that was primarily women. But let's say in the regular industry, there's four men interviewing against you and you don't tell them anything about yourself that is relevant to the role, then you're not going to get it. And I coached a family member recently and I said, I know these things about you, about their degrees and their job history and stuff. And I said, but you didn't tell me any of that when I asked you to tell me about your professional life, nothing. So it's, it's so profound. We need to stop making ourselves smaller. I love that. That's your work. Exactly. Exactly that. Um, I had a question you briefly went, you you just briefly mentioned burnout. Mm. Can you expand on that? And are you comfortable telling us a little bit about what you experienced with burnout? Yeah, you know, I had this like archetype of what burnout looked like. And I think wrongly, I thought it was like when you physically just can't get to work anymore, right? Like you are miserable, you are so depressed, it's hard to get out of bed. The idea of going to work is just impossible. And that isn't how I experienced my burnout. My burnout was just really noticing that I wasn't fulfilled. Mm. You know, I was putting in so many hours and there, I was not reaping any reward. Like, yes, I was because I had a salary and I paid my bills. Sure. Right. But, you know, I, I talk about these things. They always sound a bit cliche and I don't know how to make them sound cooler, but you know, I talk a lot about legacy, right? Our higher purpose. And I was misaligned to all of that. Yeah. I was living someone else's dream, right? Yes. Am I a good private investigator? I am. I'm really good at it. I also hate it, mm-hmm. right? There's nothing that is interesting to me about it whatsoever. So to me, I think the burnout was just kind of like spinning the wheels, spinning the wheels, spinning the wheels and feeling like I wasn't going anywhere at all. And then simultaneous to that, I was also bartending. I was a New York City bartender. And I think part of the reason that I kept a job that I really almost financially didn't need is just because I was like searching, you know, I was lost Mm -hmm. trying to fill my time with anything and I wasn't being really intentional or selective. So I was working and working and working and working and working and seeing no real results and not really questioning the formula. And then at one point I was like, wait, what am I doing? Right. I'm spent, I'm working 70 hours a week and I am not making great time for my friends. I'm not making great time for my family. I'm not making great time for my partner. I don't really enjoy anything I'm doing. So I have the ability to change this. Like I, I can actually pick the thing I like. It meant taking a giant step back, which was really, really difficult for me. Um, but it was worth it. Right. So my burnout really just mostly looked like the awakening that life was just very unfulfilled. That's an interesting take on it. I like that. I like hearing other people's take on it. I've experienced burnout. Um, and, but mine did hit that full blown <laughs> image that you had. I could barely, you know, I could barely function. I could not, I actually went out on leave because I couldn't physically go to work and I worked from home. <laughs> So there's comedy there, but like, you know, I couldn't, I I couldn't. And Samantha was there when it was happening. I couldn't sit in the chair. I could not do it. I couldn't go to another meeting because what was going to come out of my mouth was going to be pretty devastating to whomever happened to be on the receiving end. Cause I, I was just so far gone. I was done. I needed out, but I feel like if I would have noticed those things, um, 
you know, the higher purpose, being intentional, being selective, and that I had the ability to change this earlier on, I wouldn't have gotten that far. Yeah. And, you know, I, all of that, I think, is a common experience, unfortunately. And, you know, it, it's easy for me to reflect now. <laughs> past mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I, for sure. My boss was a tremendous asshole. So <laughs> mine too. Sorry. <laughs> part of my aha moment was yes, for sure. Definitely like my higher purpose, but we were sitting in a meeting and the moment that I knew like my breaking point was he was just, he was a terrible person and he was super demeaning. And like, no matter how hard I worked, he would just criticize and criticize and criticize. And I remember sitting in a meeting and he said something to me, which now I can't remember. And I looked at him and I thought, I'm never going to see this man again. Like, this is the last day I will want someone to speak to me this way. And I similarly actually went, I like beelined it to my therapist. And I was like, how do we get me out of here? I can't sit in another meeting with that man ever again. Um, and I took a leave of absence as well. So, you know, I hadn't gotten to the point where, you know, I wasn't able to bring myself to work. Although I guess I, I, you know, now that I'm really thinking about it with a different set of thoughts here, it's like, you know, I did sort of get to that point too, just Mm -hmm. under like a different application of it. But yeah, it was just, this is my life. Can I do this forever? I mean, I guess I could have, but I would have been miserable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think, you know, part of the, the thing that's helpful is you were already seeing a therapist because you understand the value of a therapist. And, and what I did was, okay, I'm in burnout now. I need a therapist, (laughs) you know, is the, the, um, I need to find some help. I'm, you know, it's so far gone. Um, and it's so hard to even, I mean, we could go down a whole rabbit hole of what that's, what that's like, especially during COVID because I was looking during COVID for mine, the tail end of COVID, but I, I can't express enough. And I tell people this all the time, go to therapy, go to therapy, everybody. I don't care how healthy you think you are. A therapist is helpful. I think it should be a regular part of our, our healthcare system. Preach. So you talked about high functioning anxiety and you, (laughs) and the way it manifested itself, you know, very much like what you saw on your social media post that was like, oh, that's me. Um, and, and I think there are a lot of people who are in that and, and you had this, like, almost like I need to search for happiness. Um, how, how did you get to that point where you were like, you know what, this isn't working for me besides the burnout piece, you know, where that kind of helped propel you forward, but like to go from burnout to like, I have to find happiness. Like there's a, there's like a, I would assume some sort of continuum or something that was happening with you. How did you move through that? You know, it's a great question. And, you know, I don't know that I have a specific answer, but though I will do my, my damnedest. Mm -hmm. Um, When I actually started to line up, with a job that I enjoyed, it felt different. You know, I'm, I'm a therapist as, as you know, and I talk a lot about somatic psychology and that is really just like dropping into your body and really getting intuitive about how it feels. And though I did not have the language, like I can say that now back then, I think I was really starting to slowly discern when I would go to certain 
type of work, right, particularly for my career, there was, I could work 70 hours at Rikers Island, it did not be a big deal, right? Because as difficult as that job was, it's the hardest job I'll ever have in my life. It was in some ways really rewarding. I felt aligned to what I was doing. So it just, mm -hmm. and I don't, I think that took a long time for me to be able to actually recognize, right? Like, I think that was a very, very slow evolution. And I kept trying on, you know, different hats and re like at my, the agency job that I worked at after Rikers Island, I also, even though it was mental health, I felt really strongly about the vision, the agency work itself. I didn't like the job. And I started to feel that burnout, even though I was only working probably like 38 hours a week. Um, mm -hmm. So I think, you know, sort of as I slowly evolved, I just became somehow, some way, I don't even know if it was intentional, just more intuitive and started listening to my emotions as information. That's been a super helpful framework for me. Like your emotions are information. If you are feeling dread, that's telling you that's your internal check engine light, mm -hmm. right? Like motivated, right? That's telling you something too. And, you know, we all have actual life responsibilities. Not every minute of our lives, even when we're all lined up, is going to feel nothing but motivational. But there is a difference between, you know, like we know, right? Just like kind of like how you know your partner, right? Mm -hmm. I love my husband. He's the right guy for me. So, so sometimes I want to, you know, to scream <laughs> at him for sure. But I can definitely tell the difference mm -hmm. dating now married to him than I could previous partners, right? Something right. in my interest, those other people weren't right for me. And I think, you know, we, we, anybody who's analytical, anybody who's anxious, anybody who is really logical, we override a lot of our intuition. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, part of that is really just like, what am I feeling? Like, mm -hmm. Where is that coming from? Can I get curious and know more? And slowly I developed that skill to where I am today, where now I do feel really aligned in my partner in my, where I live in life. Like I moved out of New York city. I, I did the mass exodus in, uh, in COVID. And actually it's really good for me to live in rural New Jersey. Um, so just like listening to that inner voice that used to kind of whisper, I kind of turned up the volume. Mm, a lot. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that that's um, that requires us all being like giving the space for that inner voice too, right? Like being like, okay, I'm opening up. I'm gonna listen. What are you saying? Yeah, you know, and usually that voice has something scary, right? Like, yeah. I, I talk to clients and maybe they know that they want to leave their partner, and that might be a thought, right? But the action that it requires is actually quite terrifying. Mm -hmm. So you know, there's sort of a misunderstanding that when our intuition talks to us, it's just going to feel good. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, actually it might feel terrifying. It might feel sad, right? You might, even if we're leaving a relationship, we know that's not good for us. There's still a mourning process, right? We still might have yes. or doubt or, so that's, I think part of the other part of my, my growth has been, you know, in, in psychology, we talk about it in the term of dialectics, two things can be true at the same time. Mm -hmm. I think a part of my growth was giving myself permission to listen to that voice and also understand that it comes with some challenges, mm -hmm. this shine and, and rainbows, you know, it's going to be hard. Something that you said that resonated was um, to listen to your intuition um, or tr trust your intuition. Lately, just lately, I have been noticing that things I have had like a gut instinct about for years or even decades 
and most likely talk to my husband about them because, you know, and probably Samantha too, because I (laughs) tell them everything, but they're coming back around and my intuition was, was right. But I also doubted myself in the moment. So just a, a benign example would be my old boss. So I'm not bringing anything else out, you know, into this conversation, but like my gut was like, man, she is a horrific human being. And am am I crazy? Am I crazy? I just kept asking myself that. So I love the work that you're doing for yourself and for your, your, I don't know if you call them clients or what, but the people that you work with on listening to their intuition, because I mean, it's just been, that's what I've been telling myself lately. I consider myself a smart person, but I was doubting my gut Mm -hmm. on, I mean, just little things that for years I'm like, well, maybe I'm just the asshole here. Mm -hmm. And in all reality, I was right. And my whole family was seeing it or my whole team was seeing it or, you know, whatever. And so that's part of that whole empowerment that you were talking about, um, uh, you know, about listening to your emotions, but also, I mean, you didn't use the word empowerment, but it's so important. Um, how do you, how do you help see that they're not listening to their intuition? You know, again, it sounds a little cringy at the at the jump, but you kind of have to like buy into it. But I really do believe um, in self-talk, right? Mm-hmm. So an example that I give is, you know, our brains are hardwired to do things automatically. So if we drive from our home to, I don't know, any place you go regularly, your friend's house, school, whatever, you don't really think about it, right? It's so conditioned. You just do mm-hmm. it. That is how our brain actually works. So if you've been telling yourself, you know, maybe I'm just the asshole. My intuition is being, you know, lot, you know, my intuition isn't right. If you've been telling yourself, I'm not attractive, I'm not worthy, I'm not lovable, that is subconsciously just driving the car. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So in order, you know, I'm, I'm a nerd for brain science and <laughs> I won't I won't go down that hole. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> but you know, we have learned scientifically the more that we think something, the more we're hardwired. But the beautiful part is if we think something else, we can override that original thought. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I'm not good enough. Well, we need a new thought, which is I am good enough. And it'll actually change the brain chemistry inside of your brain, but we have to actively practice it. So when I work with clients, I say like, listen, it's going to feel cringy. You're not going to love what I'm about to say to you. It's going to feel awkward and uncomfortable and maybe even infantile, but I want you to start saying something nice to yourself. I don't even care if you believe it. I don't even care what it is. Pick one, right? But just practice it. And I'm going to suggest you practice it when you brush your teeth. Get up in front of the mirror. If you want to write it in lipstick on your mirror, Godspeed. If you just want to say it out loud, that's good enough for me. But you have to start, you know, really thinking about what it is that I'm saying to myself and how can I empower myself to change this dialogue because it's not helping to me. It's not helping me, right? Like we are powerful in our own lives. But we have to start with with what we're thinking. Our mindset, actually, I, I truly believe does matter. It really is an important part of 100%. our sense or our, you know, self-loathing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like standing, sitting up in my chair right now. Like, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm like, wow, you want to come and look at this course I just wrote and tell me if I did okay? <laughs> so tying back to the... Um, the intuition. I kind of feel like when I was younger, I listened to my intuition more. And as I got older, 
I started to doubt my own intuition and looked at it as self growth. Like I looked at it as, well, I'm, I'm developing this growth mindset. So I'm now taking in other people's perspectives more and all of those things and started to doubt my own intuition because of the work I was putting in. Yeah. You know, if we like look at children, right, they're, they're pretty intuitive. They will tell you exactly what they want. And yeah. then like, gather yeah, perspective, we start to, you know, that gets diluted, right? Mm-hmm. We're start to have more distrust in ourselves. We listen to maybe other people's voices, you know, more powerfully again, not to be all hashtag feminism, but I think particularly women, right? Like we, mm-hmm. they're really easy. Our voice is not easy to speak up at. Right. So it's like, it's no doubt that it's no real surprise that suddenly we're like, wait, I'm supposed to listen to my voice. Huh? Right. Yeah. And we, don't, we don't learn a skill like that at all. Um, you know, and the thing with high functioning anxiety, I think that's really particularly dangerous is that it's, it usually makes you successful, right? The person who shows up late or stays late, the person who comes in early, yeah, who answers emails on their off days, they're the ones who get promoted. Mm-hmm. So, but that also is sort of counterintuitive. It's like, hey, this thing that internally is suffocating me is externally actually helping me, you know, that's, that's a confusing space to yeah. be in. It's really like that away and like, look at it and figure out how to do it better. These aren't simple concepts mm-hmm. at all. Allison, do you have anything if we're, if we're wrapping up here, do you have anything that you feel like we didn't touch on that you wanted to make sure people understand and anything um, to kind of leave on? You know, I always just have one simple thing to kind of say, which is just, you know, we're not failing. You know, I hear from clients, from friends, from family so often, just like, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. And I just think we need to all learn to just ditch that narrative. Like, you, I don't care what you're doing. If today, all you did was survive, that's good enough. Not every day is meant to be productive. Not every day is meant to be inspirational, right? Like we are all just generally doing the best we can with the resources we got. And that just has to be good enough, period, full stop. If you would like to hear more from Allison, you can find her on Instagram at a note from your therapist, all smashed together there. It's a note from your therapist. Um, You can also find her at her website, which is www.anotefromyourtherapist.com. Thank you so much, Allison. It has been a pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you for listening to And Life Happened. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will continue to listen to and like our podcast. If you would like to support our podcast, you can do so by sharing this with others to build our community of resilience. To stay updated on the latest information, please follow us at at and underscore life happened on Instagram. If you would like to share your life happened story of resilience, please complete the form in our Instagram bio. These are our personal stories and we are not mental health professionals. This is not a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be relied on as health or personal advice. Thank you.